good evening, everybody. I'm sure we're going to have some folks trickle in, be getting stuck at the gate. Usually happens on Sunday mornings, probably happening right now, too. So at the same time, if you're hungry, feel free to sneak out and grab some food. You can bring it in here, no problem at all. Sandwiches look pretty yummy. Are they good? Yeah? Wow, what a crowd. You guys are <laughs> Sunday evening, lighten up. Um, my name's Nick, in case we haven't had a chance to meet. I'm the pastor here at Emmaus Church, and I really want to thank you uh, for coming to our first ever round table event. This event really gets to the heart of who we want to be as a church. You know, our community is formed around uh, three common practices. I'm not going to tell you about all of them, but one of them is something that we call open-handed conviction, which is simply uh, being mindful about how we live, but also being open to changing our mind. Right? We think one of the most countercultural things we can do is, uh, is be people who are uh, open to hearing other perspectives, open to having our own perspective shifted. And we hope that tonight is a demonstration of that. Um, you know, on the one hand, we'd love for people in here to get, have a sort of aha moment to maybe get some clarity on something, to learn something you didn't know before. But at the same time, we just want this to be a demonstration of what uh, loving dialogue can look like, what it can look like, look like to have a conversation with each other instead of just talking at each other which I think, again, one of the most countercultural things we can do in our day and age. Can I get an amen on that? Yeah? So real quick, this will be super helpful. If you go ahead and pull out your phone and you open up your camera feature, some of you are like, this is witchcraft, I don't get it, but super simple. Take your camera and you're going to point it at that, uh, what is that called again? QR code. It left me for a second. So just point at the QR code and then the link should pop up. Or you can also just type in the link, which is just EmmausChurchSC.com backslash roundtable, right? You can also do it that way, but that should. Um, on there, you're going to find a, a really great bio for all of our panelists. So you can learn a bit more about their background, where they come from, why they're here. Um, and then this is also how you're going to ask questions. We're not going to take any questions live, uh, out loud from the room. We're going to ask you to send all of your questions in via text message, okay? So that's how you'll do that through that that link. All right, um, here in a moment, after I introduce the panelists, they're going to actually get us started uh, with the dialogue by um, asking each other questions that they have sort of come up with together beforehand. So they're going to interact uh, and kind of model dialogue for a little while. While they're doing that, we'll be, be collecting questions from you. You can send them in at any time. Uh, and then once they finish up um, handling the questions they have for one another, we'll then move into the questions from the audience. Does that make sense? Kind of the order of things? Yeah? How about I pray for us, and then I'll introduce our panelists, and they can get us started. God, we ask for your forgiveness for everybody that's late. It's just so unbelievably rude. Just kidding. I'm totally kidding. We're glad you came. Sorry about the gate. Um, but God, we just want to stop, and just want to thank you for tonight. Thank you for uh, this opportunity to, um, to listen, to hear, to ask questions. Um, maybe just to be something different. We feel like that's something that the world needs to see right now. And I do pray for uh, the conversation, the discussion. I pray that you um, clear our minds, um, that you open our hearts, and that something really good comes out of this tonight. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, without further ado, let me introduce you to our panelists over here. On your left, we have Justin, Justin Lee. Everybody say hi. Yeah. Up next, we have Amberlyn Boyder. How'd I do? I nailed it. All right. I was practicing your, your last name for a little bit. And then we have uh, Dylan Gunnels here in the middle. Everybody knows Dylan. Let me get down. And then we have Tiffany Adams. And last but not least, Brittany Morris. Yeah. Thank you all for being here. And I think, Justin, I'm going to ask you to get us started. All right. Well, I was just 
<clears throat> I was just eating food, uh, and now I'm speaking in front of everyone without going to the bathroom to check my teeth in the mirror because I like to live dangerously. So, you know, I think I think stories are so important in these tough conversations. And uh, Tiffany, you were just sharing some of your story with me uh, right before we got started, and, and talking about some of the how on your journey you have lost some things and you've also gained some things. And I was wondering if you could share with us, you know, what, what have you lost and what have you gained? Oh. It wasn't worth it. All right, <laughs> all right. Well, uh, like I was telling Justin, uh, I was, when I, before I founded the ministry, uh, the Way Columbia, the Way Worship Center in West Columbia, we, um, I, my, my son and I, when I say we, we attended one of the largest um, progressive Pentecostal like mega churches in, um, in South Carolina under uh, Ron Carpenter and uh, came up in, in ministry, you know, with him and under the, under that umbrella and um, goodness, did a lot of great work, a lot of great ministry and to a large number of, of people. And so when I uh, decided that I wanted to live my truth, I had to live my truth. Uh, before God sent me to Columbia to begin the work here, I did. Because um, I had come out before, but it was a demon. <laughs> so it was a spirit. It was a homosexual spirit and um, that, that God was delivering me from. And so I, I, you know, I, I, I did what I had to do and, and uh, was celibate and, and all of that and, and served. These are great people. That's, I mean, the people of God, great people. Nobody ever made me feel any kind of way. I wasn't, uh, again, thrown on the ground with oil and all that stuff. But um, in order to serve, I could not be openly anything. And so that's fine. Uh, but when I got to the point where God, um, what I, did, I didn't realize, God was birthing within me a call to this demographic, um, I cried. I cried. I weeped. And if you catch me on a good day, I still sometimes miss the people and the work of ministry in the mainstream church. Um, I tend to call the affirming church affirming and the mainstream, mainstream church. And so when I, I, I like I was telling Justin, I, I left that and I could see my colleagues that I was working with in ministry, particularly youth ministry at the time. Uh, we were ministering to like 250 young people, teenagers on a Wednesday night. We would have our, our Wednesday night service to the young people. And I was a part of one of, you know, that team. And we would go to big church. And, you know, I was part of the, that altar team and did just a lot of ministry. I was there all the time. So when I said, I'm going to live my truth, and I left, um, I left what I felt like was that ministry career. And so I look out and I saw, I would see my colleagues and those who were being mentored under me out planting ministries that were supported, that could be a part of a fellowship, that, uh, um, you know, the likes of, you know, conferences with your T.D. Jakes and all of that. And I would sit back and go, wow, I was this close. I was being groomed. I was, you know, whatever. And so I felt like that was a loss. And, you know, I lost all of the, my family, per se, my church family and, and all of that, the years and the impact. And then I came to Columbia, and what I gained, I gained purpose, I gained a peace of mind. Um, I was telling Justin, I know that there are people that would have, would not be here in the physical had it not been for our ministry, embracing them, showing them things in scripture, or just in the fruit of their lives, you know, the unconditional love of God. 
the, the love of God, um, you know, regardless of anything. And so what I gained was perspective. I gained a depth. I gained a purpose um, that I can't, I couldn't exchange. If you ask me now, if I could close the church doors and go walk into a position with, you know, uh, I don't know, a 2,000 member church to start off with, you know, with the grant package and everything like that and being on this stage and that stage, no way. There's, there's just no way at, the, at what cost. And so, yes, it's very much worth it. Um, it is very much worth it. Yeah, if I had to do it over again, I would, I would do some things a little bit different, but because I'm, I'll be smarter and wiser, but I would, I would absolutely make that exchange again. All right. I, I just, I just want to say how much I appreciate that, um, what you shared, because I think it's, when we talk about some of these conversations in, in the church, sometimes talking about LGBTQ topics, we, we focus so much on issues and we forget about the people. All, you know, all across the spectrum of different views and, and beliefs um, are people who are, are struggling and who've had tough times and who've had joys and, and sorrows. And, um, and it's so important, I think, for us all uh, whatever our perspectives, to, to understand that to be where you are, to be openly, you know, saying this is this is who I am, and and I, I no longer think that that this is a, a demon that I have, you know, like I used to. That's cost you a lot, but it's but doing doing what's right and being honest, and, you know, is is so important, and you would to. If you didn't have that, and you'd have to lose your integrity, that would be, you know, the cost of that would be not worth it. Thank you. Well, and again, because I just wanted to real quick, and I know my question's next, but um, I think all of us are vehemently shaking our head yes, because even if it's not related to ministry, um, I, I know more of your story and your story, and I know things that we've all collectively lost. Um, and I even think from a ministry perspective, right? Like I, I relate to you in a, in a different sense, but it's like I had just graduated college. I had the degree. I was in a church that had all the facilities. We sat on seven acres of land. They wanted me to be the full time. They wanted me to be the guy, um, you know, and so for those in the ministry world, like I, I had it made. Uh, coming right out of college and to your point and your point, the ability to live authentically, the ability to live truthfully, the ability to interact with people that I feel called to um, is such so much more of a gain than the loss. And I think, you know, whether it's, again, ministry related or not, I think we can all agree there's some sort of loss that comes with a great gain. Yeah. I, I absolutely agree with that because even with the simple things, and it sounds like such a such a mon mundane thing to say, but it was not a it was not a case that I was able to have, which is just the simple things like being able to be honest with people, not having to hide anything from your spouse, not having to hide anything from the people around you, because. I can't exactly be in the closet now, right? And um, so, yeah, I, I think 
despite everything, at least in my personal story, despite everything that I lost in the past, being able to be brutally honest with people and never have to hide anything from them, it, it, it's probably the most freeing thing that I've ever experienced in my life. Um, now, talking about some of those things that we've that we've lost and and maybe refound as we've uh, as we've navigated our sexuality or our gender identity and everything else. My question for you, Dylan, is how do you feel about being a part of something that I know has attempted to damage you in some way in the past and so why would you be a part of that now? And why would you encourage other queer people to be a part of that? When you say that, you mean the church. <laughs> Let's call it. Um, yeah. I, it, this is a jump straight to the institution of the church, so let's do it. Um, but this question does mean a lot to me because clearly I'm still here. Um, and I mean, it's this is different being in the room. I, I just did a panel down in Florida a couple of weeks ago, and it's different when I look out and I'm like, oh, I know half of you in here. Um, so all the love to my Emmaus peeps that continue to uh, follow me and, and where the journey's even headed now. Um, but you're absolutely right. I mean, for all intents and purposes, the institution of the church has deeply hurt me. Um, and deeply hurt a lot of people in our community. And I, I tell the story that it really wasn't uh, the church. It wasn't the institution of the church that brought me back. It was the loving grace of Jesus Christ. And it was the voice that I heard in the ocean of all places. And so that's what brought me back here. Um, but to really answer that question, um, after I was brought back to the church, um, I began to believe in the church again. And that's what's very ironic um, for people, especially, I mean, I've had people that are like, they can't believe that those words would come out of my mouth. And they're like, that you're, they've hurt you and they're hurting people in your community. Get away from it and tear it down. And I'm like, yeah, but that's not, <laughs> that's not how it works. And it's not what I believe because when I look at the actual church outside of my personal experience with my own sexuality, I look at an institution that is based in the teachings and the merits and the life lived of Jesus Christ. And if I go back there, I see a man who said, hey, settle your differences with your brother before you even get to court. Hey, how many times should I forgive? Seven times? No, seven times 70. I look at a person who completely sacrificed everything all the way to the cross and believed in reconciliation and forgiveness and agape love. And so when I look at the world that we experience now, and I begin to go back to those roots where I was taught, right, you need to be holy and sanctified and separate, and you need to be righteous, and you need to be set apart from the world. It's like now I look at that, and I'm like, absolutely, but I see it differently. I'm like, yeah, the world needs forgiveness. The world needs reconciliation. The world needs grace. The world needs more of this where I look at a Jesus who believes in relationship more than anything else and believes that the tenets of community can withstand our differences uh, and really believes that we should be putting the world back together. And, and when you talk about physically putting the world back together, right, history has shown us that the church is at the forefront of that. Like the church has messed up a lot. 
I'm not going to deny it. And when we're talking about big arguments, even on slavery, when we're talking about civil rights history, when we're talking about those things, there were many in the church that absolutely got that wrong. But there were many in the church that really got it right. And I would argue that the church was at the forefront of those movements. I would argue that if you look at it when it comes to clean water and food access and housing and all of those things, the church throughout the course of history has been at the forefront of those movements. And so I see an institution that is still filled with people that get it wrong, but ultimately I believe more in the tenets of that institution that should be getting it right than I always believe necessarily in the people that are getting it wrong. And I just think for me, I haven't found anything better than that in the world. I really haven't. And so I'm willing to sit here and fight for my seat at that table. Um, and, I would, and so why would I argue that for other queer people to do the same um, is that the church really needs us. Like, like queer people do need the church. And I, that's a whole other rabbit trail. But I think I'll just end with this is that the church really needs queer people. Um, you know, when we were at the state house, we met at the state house through protesting and through testifying and fighting for our rights. And I will never forget the time that we left that room and it was awful. What we experienced collectively was awful and what your community particularly experienced that day was awful and we all walked out. And I looked around at people from all across the state, many of whom I had just met that day, and we cried on each other's shoulders and we hugged each other. And we, there is such deep love in this community and the farther we get pushed away, the less people will experience the true agape love of the queer community. And I believe that with my whole heart. The church needs us. And so when you're able to get to a place where you're comfortable and able to be fully authentic and in a space, and let's be clear about that, there's a difference between being in a space that's hurting you and harming you. But you can find a space that affirms you and you feel ready to move forward in your journey. The church needs us to be loud and out and proud. So. Well, in, in touching in that a little bit about, like, the need for the queer people in the church, are you tiptoeing into saying that that's evangelism, or is that something else? As far as... As far as, would you say that you saying that the church needs queer people, and you're saying that you want queer people to be a part of the church... Are you saying that as an evangelist or are you saying that as something else? Like, like, does that, are you out there saying queer people need to come to the church because I want queer people to convert to my beliefs? Um, I think it's a different form of evangelism if we can use right. the term. Okay. <laughs> yes, I, I mean, I'm not saying it in the same way. I, I think it goes back to what I said earlier, right? I think the background that I come from was much about conversion and numbers and baptisms and beliefs. And, and, and now I'm like, no, you know, Nick and I talk about this. Like, I do believe in conversion now, but just in a different way. I think for you to go out in a society that tells you an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. If you go out into a society that says, get what's yours and take it. If you go out to a society that you know, is more selfish oftentimes than anything else, I do need to be converted to the way of Jesus because it's very hard to walk out this door and live any other way. Um, and so I do think, yes, queer community can also benefit from those tenets of reconciliation, forgiveness, grace, and mercy. Like, we need that in our community too. But I also believe, again, that when you are lacking the opportunity to see the true diversity of God's creation as a church, 
you're not allowing yourself to see the fullness of Christ. And so I think we need, they need us too. Um, and it's in, um, in my own, you know, experience serving the LGBTQIA plus plus community. Um, there are so many of us within our community who, um, desire church, you know, and, and usually a lot of the, the victrol, a lot of the, the animosity and a lot of the pain is pain. It is just pain, um, feeling rejected. Uh, there's such a longing. I can't say, you know, of course, not 100%, but for the most part, so many people, the pain comes from wanting. And so what we, a lot of people do in our community is create community, deeply spiritual people, but you'll see them in, you'll see them in houses, you'll see them in um, uh, friend groups, you'll see them in, in parties, you'll see them in, you know, and it's a very deeply spiritual. If you've been to you know, some of the social events, <laughs> they can feel, their, you can feel the electricity, you can feel the energy, you can feel the love. And so when every time we're, we're pushed away, we love harder within our own community. The love doesn't go away. It's just redirected, you know, and it's like more so I'm going to cling to you, you're going to cling to me, and we're just going to love each other. But what's missing is the the continuity, the, the bridge, the, you know, and so I agree with you that the church needs queer people and those queer people who need the church need a bridge to the the churches, the denominations, the churches that are affirming um, because it's painful. There's so many people who are in pain because of um, their denomination has not made a statement yet. Um, or they've made a statement, but it's not affirming them. It's not welcoming them. And I can offer my non-denominational church all day long. But if someone is deeply um, United Methodist Church and the Methodist Church hasn't made a statement or they're deeply Southern Baptist and the Baptist, you know, it's, it's not going to be enough. It's enough to sit and be open and be loved, but they're waiting for their denomination to embrace and and so begins the, the work that you've been doing, Justin, you know, to come, up, uh, come across the table and, and give answers. But, but, but yeah, and so, yeah, it is an evangelism that offers the opportunity to those who want it, who desperately want it. Well, and to your point, and then we'll, we'll go to the next question because I'm watching time. But I, to your point, yes, I, I think that that is something that gets missed in this conversation sometimes is a lot of us in the queer community miss the church. We crave the church. We crave the opportunity to be back in fellowship of a church and to freely worship and, and pursue God. Um, and we see it all the time, right? And so I, I just want to make sure that that's known. Like, it's not just the fact that I, I'm pushing this and I think like, oh, you guys just need to be, or not you guys, but you just need to be accepting and affirming and allow us into the church. It's more of there are people in our community that desire to be in the church and they're begging for spaces to go. Um, but when they're not fully affirmed, it's, it's not as healthy. Okay, who am I asking? Justin. <laughs> oh, this will be fun because this is what you do for a living and, and help others do the same. Um, but right, we're, we're trying to model something tonight and hoping that people can take away 
uh, ideas and tactics for nuanced conversation and loving dialogue. And so um, how do you handle these difficult conversations that you might come across with folks who do have deeply held theological or, or doctrinal beliefs? How do you handle those dialogues and those conversations? Oh, my goodness. Well, <clears throat> thankfully, uh, having helpful, productive, not at all tense conversations uh, with people you disagree with on really important things is super easy. And um, with this three-step process, everything will always go the way you want. Um, you know, this is, as you said, this is what I've been doing uh, for pretty much my whole adult life. And I do not have the benefit that you have of knowing many of the people here. And, uh, but I do know you know, I end up speaking to different audiences across the country and around the world where most of the time the audience I speak to is made up of folks who have really different views from each other. And sometimes I end up, you know, in, with an audience where pretty much everybody's on the same page about whatever it is we're talking about. But I may, you know, the week after that I might be in a room with another group of people who are on the same page, but they're on the other page, you know. And so, um, I've had some really tough conversations with lots of folks and disagreed with a lot of folks. And um, one of the things that I've found is that our instinct when we uh, go into these conversations, especially the ones like you're talking about, where we have deeply held beliefs, and it's an issue that is important. Because, I mean, it's easy to disagree on, you know, if you're disagreeing on something that's a matter of opinion. What's your favorite flavor of ice cream? We can have five different flavors, and everyone's opinion is, you know, equally valid, unless you choose butter pecan, in which case you're wrong and you're going to hell. But, um, <laughs> you know, it, it, we can agree to disagree on those kinds of things. Um, there are certain kinds of disagreements where we can we can find compromise, and you know, no, neither of us gets exactly what we want, but uh, okay, I can live with that. You know, but there are those issues that are the the, the right and wrong kind of issues where we say, this is important. It's important that we get it right. And I don't think there's room for compromise, and I think it matters. And so I can't just agree to disagree with you, and there's no middle ground. And what do we do with that? And our instinct in those situations, I think, is to fight, is to argue, to think if I can make the, the, the most brilliant argument, and if I pull in all the right Bible passages and all the right facts and figures and all the right you know, theological and social and philosophical arguments, then you will have to change your mind and agree with me. And it doesn't happen, because what people do is they get defensive, they dig in their heels, and even if you make a good point, they're not really listening because they're thinking what their rebuttal is going to be to whatever you're saying. And so our instinct turns out to be completely wrong, and the more important it is to us to get this thing right, the more we fight, the more we argue, and the more the other person digs in their heels, and the less likely it is that they're ever going to listen to us. And so what I've found is the sort of counterintuitive best thing to do in those really important situations um, is to listen, to stop and listen. And it's really difficult because if somebody's saying something that just rubs you the wrong way, you know, on every, you know, in every possible way, you're like, that is wrong, it's theologically wrong, you know, it's biblically wrong, it's harmful, it's, it's sinful, it's, you know, whatever. We want to interrupt, we want to say, no, let me tell you why you're wrong. But I find that, you know, when you, when you look at 
how Jesus has treated people in Scripture. Jesus, very often, you know, Jesus, people come to Jesus to hear him preach. So he certainly does plenty of preaching. But when he's talking to people one-on-one, -on -one, he does a lot of listening and a lot of, like, let me show you that I know who you are and that I care about your situation. And let me make sure that your needs are met, that you have the food that you need, that you have the healing that you need, that you have the, just the emotional stuff that you need. Jesus uh, shows that he, he cares about people, and part of that is because Jesus did care about people. So I think we have to care. But I think we also we have to listen not only because we care, but because it is the only way to really understand what's going on with somebody else. And you learn so much when you listen. You learn that the other person thinks, uh, you know, they believe things that you don't know they believe. They believe that you believe things that you don't believe, but they believe that you believe them, and until you hear them out, you don't know that they're believing stuff. You find that people are using language differently. I mean, I'm from a, I'm old enough that, um, like, I, I'm listening to y'all talk about the, the queer community. I'm old enough that the word queer is really hard for me. I don't call myself queer. It's not a word I use. Now, I know when you are using the word queer, I know what you mean. I, and so, I, in my head, I'm doing that mental translation. You know, what she's saying is not uh, what I think of when I think of the word queer. It's what you know, what I think she thinks when she's using the word queer. And then, you know, if you're a little right, right, I would say like LGBTQ, which is you know, you, know, you say that enough times and the time's up, right? But I. But it's only, I mean, I found, I've, I've listened to people get into arguments that go on and on and on for hours about whether or not being gay is a choice. Only to realize, after hours of arguing, that they're using different definitions of the word gay. You know, one of them thinks gay is a particular way of living, and the other one thinks gay is something that you feel. Well, if we don't define the word the same way, how are we gonna ever understand each other? So I, we've gotta listen. And, and really get a sense of like, what's going on with this other person? How are they using the, the language? What is it that they believe? Why is this important to them? What their, what's their story been? I always like to ask people, not just like, what do you believe about this? But tell me the story of how you came to this conclusion. Um, why is it important to you? Did you? Have you always believed this? Did something change your mind? If so, what? You know, That's what's motivating them. And then I try to find points of commonality, like maybe we disagree on just about everything, but do we have any shared values? You know, do, is there anything that we have in common that we can build on, um, at, you know, and build a relationship on? And I, I try to wait, as much as I can hold myself back, I try to wait until those two things have been done. The other person really feels heard and understood by me, and we've got some commonality to build on before I start trying to work to help, to help them understand me. And then when I do, rather than using arguments, I try to use stories. Because at the end of the day, if you hear my story, if you hear about how you know I grew up really anti-gay, very devout in a Southern Baptist home, and for years did not want to admit that I was gay because I believed being gay was a choice, and that was a choice that a good Southern Baptist kid would never make, I certainly was not gonna make it. If you hear the whole story of all of the stuff that I went through and all the ways that I fought it before I finally had to reluctantly use the word gay for myself, and even then thinking it was something God was gonna heal me of, you know. And all that happened and all the ways in which my church didn't walk that journey with me, and all the ways I was hurt. 
you may not end up agreeing with my final biblical conclusions, but you're going to understand a lot more about why I've spent the rest of my life talking about this stuff, you know? By the way, I did tell that story. It's in my book, Torn, which you can buy and then, you know. But, <laughs> but um, so I think that is, that's my short, long answer, uh, is, is I try as much as I can. I try to listen to build commonality and to share stories because at the end of the day, we are human beings, and especially for those of us who are Christians, we want to get these things right as Christians. We want to serve God. And we disagree sometimes on what it is God's calling us to do. We disagree strongly, and we can't all be right. But if I can acknowledge that you are trying to do what you believe God wants you to do, even if I think you're mistaken, and if you can acknowledge that I'm trying to do what I believe God wants me to do, even though you believe I'm mistaken, that at least gives us a place to start and see each other as, as siblings in Christ, trying to get it right and failing sometimes, rather than as enemies where one of us is good and the other is evil, like some Disney villain that needs to be vanquished by the end of the movie. Because I believe that God loves you, even if you've gotten a bunch of stuff wrong. Because I know I've gotten a bunch of stuff wrong in my life, and God still loves me, and that's grace. All right. Brittany. Brittany. Your experience in church, in church, in church, I know that there had to have been some, some dark times, some negativity you've experienced, as well as some positivity. If you could share with us... Um, your experience, what it's been like in church or with church, and then those things that have been most confusing or hurtful to you, um, and then on the flip side, what have been the most helpful or encouraging as far as your church experience? Yeah, so um, I'm Mike Dillon. I actually know a lot of you in this room, and a lot of you probably have heard my story at least a little bit. Um, I grew up in the church. I grew up in the United Methodist Church, and I mean like grow up, like my parents were super involved. My great-grandmother was super involved. My grandparents, like, everyone knew who my great-grandmother was in that church, and I fell somewhere down that line. And it kind of got passed down through the generations of, you serve, you're involved, this is what you do. Um, so I was there when the doors were open most of the time, either with my great-grandmother, who took us every Wednesday night, or my parents, or somebody. And then as I grew up, I went to Carolina. I stayed around here, stayed involved in that church was super involved in ministry, did everything. Um, and I then got called into ministry myself. Um, I went to CIU, I have a master's degree from CIU. I then went back and worked in that same church. Um, I did not realize that I was gay until probably, I don't know, four or five years ago, um, when I actually met who is now my wife um, as of a week ago. A little over. <laughs> um, so I wrestled with it a little bit at first. It took her six months to convince me to even go on a date with her. And through those six months, I wrestled with, what does this mean? What is this? Um, and so when that happened, I'm still working in this church who does not affirm what I'm dealing with. Um, I could not talk to anyone I felt like. It was just, it was what it was. And I had, I mean, I had some friends who um, actually introduced us, so I got to talk to them a little bit about it. But they weren't also on the same faith journey as me. So the church was just one of those things where I was like, I don't know what to do. I prayed about it, I, and I came to the conclusion that, you know, this is who I am, this is the person I want to be with. 
So fast forward, I'm still working there. We get engaged. Um, my ring came off every day. I did not get to wear it. I did not get to say who I was or what I um, believed in, who I loved, anything like that. It went in my book bag every day um, at work. So as I went through that, um, I finally realized it was time to leave. Um, and I ended up going back to school to be a PTA. Um, I wrestled pretty hard after leaving about going back to church. Um, I just, it wasn't anything negative from anyone that said anything to me, but it was just one of those things where, I don't know, I just wasn't ready. Um, church was just one of those things where I was like, I mean, I still believe in God, but I'm not sure right now. So finally, um, I was convinced we were going to go to Emmaus. Um, I was, she kept saying, let's go, let's go, let's go. And I said, okay, let's go. Um, I got here and knowing a lot of the people here because I've worked with them or whatever, or been in church with them. Um, it was nice to actually finally get to be who I am, um, in front of people that believe the same thing as me. Cause it was one of those things like I walked in the church and it just didn't feel real anymore to some level because I didn't get to be who I wanted to be. I didn't get to be who I am. Um, God knew who I was. My family knew who I was. Um, but not everyone else who I still loved and had relationships with. Um, and now it's one of those things where, you know, I see people out and about that from the same community that I worked with at the time, you know, and, you know, of course this past week we posted wedding pictures and changed names and all those things. And so people from that community are liking that and they're affirming that. And it's this weird mixed feelings for me right now with that, with the church and how that works. But I've really, it's also been helpful. Um, so I think some of the, like, some of the more confusing and hurtful things was the fact that I did have to take my ring off every day. I didn't want to do that. I mean, it hurt both of us. It wasn't just a me thing. It was one of those, but I couldn't do that or I knew I'd lose my job. And at the time, that's what I had. Um, but then what's helpful is to come into a place that's so open and loving and come into this church and then, you know, to see that we were celebrated, you know, the number of congratulations we got this morning from, and then the number of people that were able to attend the wedding, like we were celebrated um, for who we are and who we love. And we had a community that surrounded us. So it's just one of those things that the, the church was something that's been a part of me forever. I never really lost, you know, what I felt with God, but I did get a little angry. I mean, cause it was a place that I grew up that loved me or I felt like they loved me, but they didn't know me. And so that's just, it's one of those things that's a little hurtful and hard when you have this, like, you're working there and you're just, you're well known in that community. And you're like, oh, well, I have to hide a huge chunk of who I am. So, yeah. I think it's my turn to ask a question, isn't it? All right. So, Amberlynn, I have... Are you and your partner on the same page in your spiritual walk? And if not, how do you navigate that? No. <laughs> uh, no, that's, um, we're going to get into some hurt territory with me. Um, but my wife's name is Gabby. And um, to expound a little bit on what I put in my bio, my dad was a Southern Baptist pastor um, he died in 2007. Um, after that, I felt like I had to do him proud or whatever. Um, spent about a semester in seminary 
Um, and as someone, I heard Nick talking about how he's kind of naturally a skeptic, and I'm kind of that way as well. I got about a semester into a heavily independent Baptist seminary and went, this is kind of bullcrap, um, and stepped away from that, um, but continued going to church. Um, I eventually met my wife on a Christian dating website. She's the daughter of an independent fundamental Baptist pastor. Um, so when we talk about people digging their heels in, um, that, yeah. And we ended up adopting our daughter. We adopted her through a Christian adoption agency. Um, and all this time from at least 14 years old, I'm still exploring, you know, my history and everything and finding, I guess, warning signs from sooner um, that I was not a typical boy. Um, but when I actually had words for what I was, I was 14 years old. And I carried that baggage for quite a long while. At the point that I came out, we were attending a Southern Baptist mega church of about 3,000 people. I was playing bass on stage in that church. Um, and one of, my, uh, one of my last memories of attending a service in that church, I had already come out to Gabby and the pastor hit a completely unrelated point in his sermon where he basically went on this five minute transphobic rant and about 1,500 people stood to their feet applauding my demise, effectively. Um, and then I went and played bass for these people. Um, so to say that I'm in a place, I eventually reached a place where I was effectively, maybe not directly told, but effectively told by the church that you cannot be this and be a Christian. And the only thing that I had in my mind was, well, I know I'm this. So if you are speaking from a place of authority saying I can't be both, then we know what I have to be. Um, meanwhile, Gabby relied on her faith um, to get her through my coming out, um, we were very certain that our marriage was going to end. Um, and after about a month, month and a half, uh, she woke up one morning and she was just staring at me. And I said, what? And she said, I have a piece about this. Let's go. I said, let's go with what? She said, come out to everybody. And... Um, Asked her if she was sure. We, at this point, our daughter was six months old. Um, and so I came out socially at work um, to family and everything else. My family was luckily um, fairly affirming, but her entire family disowned her. Um, so I carry a lot of guilt around that too, and a lot of anger directed toward the, you know, the church who, who informed a lot of those, uh, a lot of those beliefs that have led to my daughter being estranged from one of her grandmothers, from my wife being estranged from her 
mother, her brother, and her entire family. Um, so how do we how do we navigate that? And I think where we land is viewing religion and viewing faith as a tool for spiritual health as opposed to an authoritative force in our lives. Um, so she leans in on her faith as I need something bigger than me to take care of me in these, in these difficult times. Whereas I'm more, more in a place where I would say at best I'm a hopeful agnostic. I hope that there's something after this, but if not, I'm okay with that. Um, because if there is as complicated and unclear a set of rules as we were told had to be true in the church, um, I'm not very interested in worshiping that God, if that makes sense. Um, so, you know, how, do, how does Ivy, my daughter, fit into all of that? Um, and I think we just want to be as supportive as parents as possible. Um, keep her from doing anything that's going to damage herself, as all parents, you know, hopefully do. Um, but give her the freedom to explore and give her the freedom, give her the freedom to find her own path and her own faith in life. Because what we don't want to do is what was done to us, which is traumatizing us with the fear of hell, to make us believe what um, you know, what they, what they're wanted to believe. Um, can I just ask you briefly before we get into audience questions, do you, I already know the answer, but can you share just, um, how your relationship ebbs and flows around um, faith, religion, but also your activism and not necessarily wanting to be in the public eye and, and your child. And like, I just, I want to give a shout out to Gabby, even though she's not here. Yeah. Um, but just, I, I think it would be cool to share folks how great that has. Yeah, so I'm, I'm the one who's not technically religiously affiliated and I'm the one sitting in church and Gabby's at home tonight. But, um, <laughs> um so, and you're going to have to ask me the question again, because there were, there were a few things in there. Just helping folks to understand, because yeah. I think it is, like, people have such binaries and mm -hmm. dichotomies when they look at the world, and it's like, mm -hmm. we could do a whole session talking to you about how you all navigate your household, but I just think it's amazing that you guys have, you've stayed together, mm -hmm. your marriage is fruitful, you're raising your daughter, how do you continue to push forward in this new path that includes activism? Yeah. Um, it's a lot of fun. Like once we got over the humps of the fear of, of what, what is society going to think? What are people going to say in public? What are people going to, what are people who have known us from before my transition? What are, what are they going to think? Once we got through those initial fears, um, we were actually able to find a lot of fun ways to rediscover ourselves. Um, Gabby, Gabby is often 
um, the more hesitant one, I have two settings. It's like negative 12 and positive 200. Um, there's no in between. Um, so having someone who is a more cautious person, um, she really does keep me from getting to myself um, too much. Uh, you know, you can get in some pretty weird head spaces, especially when you're dealing with something like, you know, transitioning and, and things like that. Um, but as we started leaning into, okay, this is this is a woman and a woman in a marriage. Um, you know, Gabby panicked at first. She said, "Well, I don't, I don't want to be the butchy one," and I'm like, "You don't have to." Um, and then there were things like, well, who opens the door for who? And we're like, well, whoever gets there first. Um, and, and even like the parental roles in things, um, realizing that we could both be capable of being a nurturer, realizing that we could both be capable of being a disciplinarian, um, realizing that we could both contribute to the household in every single way. Yes, she may be more capable, for example, of dealing with a toddler for eight to 12 hours a day. Um, I am not gifted in that way that well. <laughs> um, but, but overall, it forced us to reevaluate um, pretty much every facet of our marriage. And what it's kind of turned into is we're learning, we're dating all over again and we're getting to know one another all over again. And the truth is we're really awesome people. And, 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 and we're, we're discovering these parts of ourselves that we had to keep turned off for, you know, we're about to celebrate our ninth wedding anniversary in, de in December. Um, so for almost a decade, there are things that we've hidden from one another that we're that we're finding, and, and that's exciting, and it's, and it's brought a new level of discovery in our marriage. So. Thank you. All right, can let's I, dialogue with you all. Can I? Can oh I, yes, yes. I, I just I I <clears throat> excuse me. I, I I was listening to you share your story, and um, and I'm so moved by it. And I was thinking at the same time having just gotten through talking about how, you know, we can, uh, we can love each other and see the, the way that God loves others, even in the midst of disagreement, I was thinking, you know, the way that you described your approach to faith where you are right now, and Gabby's approach, uh, I, I wish I'd gotten down the words that you used, but like, the way you described Gabby's approach sounds a lot more like my approach to faith. And so I was thinking, you know, if, if, I, if I wanted to, I could jump in here and say, well, hang on, I, you know, let's talk about, you know, what, you know, because I, I, I do think that there are rules in my faith and, you know, I do see God as, you know, something, you know, bigger than me, you know, my faith is something for me to lean on and it's not just a personal thing, you know, I think capital T truth and da, 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 like, and we can have that conversation. But I don't know how... The only reason I bring it up right now is for the sake of like having a conversation about what do we do when we have disagreements, right? Because I don't know how anybody can listen to what you just shared and not be so much more than that struck by your vulnerability in sharing what's 
clearly been a really challenging journey for you that you're still on. And also, specifically, I had to write this down because it really just hurt my heart. Talking about the feeling of, of hearing a sermon and having the congregation, what you experienced as, you said, applauding my demise. And I have no doubt that if we could bring that pastor in and put them right here in that congregation and say, you know, were you applauding her demise? They would say, no, that's not what was happening. You know, that's how you experienced it. And so I know that God in that moment must have been just crying for you. Because that's who, who I see Jesus being in, in Scripture, is the one who's, who's looking to see who's hurting and who's there. And that, for me, is where we always have to start, is where's that pain? And we're, forget, you know, what, what was meant. Forget what was intended. Forget that's not what I said. Like, you experienced the church as applauding your demise. Whatever they intended, that's wrong. Yeah, and and I mean, in talking about faith and in talking about, because, you know, you and I both know coming from Southern Baptist churches, coming from evangelical backgrounds, our pastors speak from a place of authority. Um, and that authority is communicated as absolute. That pastor's interpretation of scripture is communicated as absolute and authoritative. And I reached a point one day where I said, well, wait a minute. If you have all of the answers, where's the faith? And I think that was probably the question that sparked my deconstruction journey because once you say I don't know that I see this as authoritative you've opened a whole lot of different doors um, and open yourself to a lot more exploration um, not just in your own faith but but what you're seeing and how other people interact with their faith um, so yeah I I I agree with you that it was probably not the pastor's intention to communicate that I want that closeted T word up there um, to die. But that's certainly what I heard. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you, all of you, for this. And we're going to continue in dialogue yeah. with you all. Thank you all very much. And, um, We've got some great questions coming in. Again, just they, they've assured me you can ask whatever you want, right? Uh, I'm not assuming everybody um, is coming from the same place, right? Don't feel like you can't ask a question. You can't. You can ask a question. The first one I'm going to ask is coming probably half a dozen different forms, different versions. And maybe it should have been the question we started with in, in some sense. Uh, how do you, I mean, and Justin, you, you know, you've been very open about uh, your faith. Uh, Brittany, I mean, uh, all of you, right? How do you reconcile being open, being affirming with what about the Bible, right? What about the Bible? Um, 
And I'm asking that from a real, from a real sincere place because I know a lot of people um, who would want to be uh, perhaps more affirming uh, really struggle with, well, I also want to be faithful to, uh, to, this, to the scriptures, right? So how do you navigate that uh, conversation? How have you arrived at the place that you have being somebody who still identifies as a uh, follower of Jesus with what the Bible says about sexuality? I, <clears throat> Tiffany and I are looking at each other because I know we both speak on this. So, yeah. Uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll start by just saying, you know, I, I always, I take this step by step with folks. Um, I encourage folks to start by understanding that when somebody says, I'm, I'm gay, I'm bi, I'm trans, uh, you know, whatever in that LGBTQ umbrella. Um, that statement is not itself a theological statement about what God wants them to do with that. This was something that took me a long time to explain to a lot of people close to me. When I first said, I think I'm gay, what I meant by that, and this is what I mean when I say people don't always agree on the definition of gay, what I meant by that was, I'm realizing I'm not attracted to girls. I have a girlfriend, I'm not attracted to her. I don't now, but I did at the time, you know. <laughs> Just to, you, know. Uh, you know, I was a high school student. I had a girlfriend, we'd been dating. I loved her, but I loved her like a sister. I had no physical attraction to her. I had never had to any woman, and to this day I have never had to any woman. Um, but I did have attraction to the guys in my class. Uh, not all of them, but, you know, to certain ones. And so when I said I was gay, that was my saying, this is what I'm feeling. That was not me saying, here's what I think God wants me to do with it. Because initially I thought, well, I, I, I can't act on this. I have to be celibate. But then I started saying, well, but if I have to be celibate, what does that mean? You know, it, 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 will God make me straight? If God doesn't make me straight, am I celibate for life? I will be if that's what God calls me to. But, uh... Is, if, I, if that is what God calls me to, what does that mean? Uh, clearly would mean no sexual behavior, but could I have a close, intimate, uh, romantic, but non-sexual relationship, or is that forbidden? You know, lots of specific questions you start asking when you're in that position that you don't ask if it's about somebody else. And so I always start by saying, you know, when, and that's just one of those letters, you know, but somebody who says, I am, you know, this this word, what they're trying to identify is what they're feeling inside. And that's a starting point. The next question then is, what does God want me to do about it? And that's important to understand because when you're looking at this from a kind of a, from a distance, it's easy to say something like homosexuality, yes or no? What is God's you know, opinion? But for me, that question then changed to I already am gay. I didn't want to be. I've tried everything not to be. I've been praying about it for years. It hasn't gone away. I've gone to those ministries that said I would become straight, and not only did I not become straight, the other people in those ministries didn't either. <laughs> and we can laugh about it, but honestly, there are people whose whole lives, I mean, spent their whole lives trying to become straight, and it didn't happen. And I still know people who think that it, it can, right? So, so it's like, okay, so the, now the question is, I'm in this position, what do I do? How do I honor God? How do I serve God? What is the Bible calling me to? And people would quote passages to me like the Sodom story, where God destroys this town after an attempted gang rape of angels. And I'm like, that doesn't feel really super relevant to my life. I'm trying to figure out how to live an honoring 
you know, a, a Christian life that honors God given the situation I'm in? And that's a tricky question. And what we start to find as we dig through Scripture is that there are very few passages that talk about um, same-sex sexuality, and all of them are in circumstances that we would say, well, yeah, clearly that's sinful, but none of them are talking about marriage or relationships. Uh, and there's even less uh, dealing with, uh, you know, non-cisgender gender identity, you know, talking about transgender identity. So um, we can make inferences, and we can look at these passages and say, well, I think that this applies more broadly but we don't always make the same inferences. And so somebody might say, well, this passage where, you know, Paul is condemning this behavior going on in Rome, I think that would likewise condemn two men in a marriage that that's not really a marriage. And that's an inference that we can make. And we can talk about why we think that that's how we would apply it. And someone else can say, well, actually, I think that Paul is specifically talking about this particular thing that was going on in, in Rome at the time. And he's not talking about marriage. He's not talking about a lifelong committed relationship. So then we have to say, well, okay, so then what do we do, you know? So it's a, it, people have written long, long books trying to deconstruct all of these passages and understand them. And there's, you know, the, to get into all of that would take way more time than we have. But ultimately, a lot of these arguments come down to do the few passages that we have that mention same-sex sexuality in a negative way, are those passages intended to apply to uh, a modern-day committed relationship or not? And, and why? And why do we think they are or why do we think that they're not? And, and that's really, you know, what a lot of these arguments come down to. Um, and I totally, I totally agree with you. I began my journey of um, dissecting scripture and exegeting scripture at age 19, I'm 45, I'll be 46 on Saturday. Um, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, but so it's been a, a literally lifelong journey of studying uh, the, the Hebrew scriptures, the, the Greek, and um, all of the different applications of it. There are a lot of materials out there that have done, that people have done the work for you, videos and, and YouTube videos and everything. and um, Every single clobber, what we call the clobber scriptures in our community, can be uh, exegeted. It can be uh, interpreted to be, you know, absolutely null and void when it comes to applying to our. And so for me, as an African-American uh, lesbian um, a preacher of the gospel, I've got all these different demographics that I'm, I'm, at this point I'm used to having to go to scripture. And, and say, okay, you know, um, because, I mean, I grew up, I grew up with this understanding, this teaching that even, that black people are cursed, you know, that, that we literally, and, and you can find scripture in the Bible where, you know, one, uh, someone's punishment was being to skin turning black. And so we were cursed as I grew up with that understanding uh, that we were cursed and then being a woman in ministry or being a woman period you know so all of those so i'm used to going into having to go into the bible and research okay who am i truly am i loved by god because this same bible has been used to condemn me to second class citizenship to affirm slavery and i'm not going to go in you know to all of that but i'm so when when, when the gay issue came up because for me in the beginning it was just the, the gay issue 
Okay, here we go again, back to the Bible to figure out um, what are these scriptures really talking about? Are they applicable? Uh, put them in, in context. One of the things I always, you know, teach at my church is that we are, um, those of us who were born into Christianity, we have three strikes that we kind of have to jump over. One, we, um, we, we follow a faith practice from a, a land that most of us will, will never visit. Unless you're a soldier, you know, you were deployed in the Middle East or something like that. I, I likely, you know, uh, or you took one of those trips to the Holy Land or whatever. It's from a, a place in, in, the, in the world that I, I'm not indigenous to that, you know, region. In languages, most of us will never know or don't speak, unless you understand they have to learn them. And especially from a time period, unless we're, you know, we're, we're going back in time, you know, you, you can't revisit. And so we have to put all those into context and suspend 21st century understanding and actually learn about the culture of the time uh, and how it applies and, and the fact that so many of those scriptures in the New Testament are talking about um, pederasty or pederasty, you know, of an older man with a young child. Oh, oh, it, oh it gets good. It gets good. It, I mean, I've had to do this. This is my life's work, explaining those scriptures and going into the deeper meaning, the life principles that are actually hidden beneath those, those scriptures. And so what I would say um, is that there's way more to it. There's way more to it than, than the, th those things. And most of them don't even apply at all. And so I would encourage anybody who is at that juncture of saying, you know, I want to love my LGBT or my queer uh, child or, or sibling or community or co-worker, whatever, but the black and white says this, that if you're having that conflict, the, the material is out there for you to get your answers and your peace. And I promise you, if you, once you read it, you'll have a peace about it. And then the courage, I pray the courage for you to then walk in that peace that God gave you. I just have to add real quick, and I know. Um, but I think to add on to what everyone has said tonight about story, like I 100% agree with you, I agree with you, but I think to take it a step further is in this journey of understanding the scriptures, it is unfair to the humans to not also figure out and listen to their story in conjunction with the scriptures. And so if you're sitting across the table from me and I'm telling you that I knew in the second grade, I can tell you the moment, the environment, the interaction, I know exactly the first moment that I thought, huh, I'm in the second grade. I don't have the language or the understanding, but my first crush is not like everybody else's, right? If I'm across the table from you and I can tell you that experience and then I can tell you that I did not grow up in the church, but it was a soci so sociological thing, and so I didn't pursue. And then I ended up in the church and going into ministry, and now it is a heaven or hell issue. And if I tell you I've gone through conversion therapy twice, if I tell you that I've, when I was told, you know, it's one or the other, I said to myself, it's God. I'm picking God. If I have to make a decision, I'm picking if I tell you that all of that has been my personal story in the journey and I tell you that I did everything that I tried to do to make it go away, then you have to at least honor my story when we then go to the scriptures to determine how we read and interpret what it says through the lens of our story. I think it's very interesting that we in our modern day Christianity, and this goes, I mean, clearly all the way back to the scriptures themselves, but we are so quick to our doctrinal beliefs and our theological statements and our rightness. But Jesus pulled us into his stories. 
And even in those parables, sometimes I need somebody to explain to me what the heck he meant in the parable itself. And so honoring the stories of the LGBTQ people that you're hearing from in conjunction with the scriptures helps you to come to them with a different lens to go, okay, what's most healthy for the humans? And I think when you begin to do that, I will be very blunt, I think it's lazy. And I have very dear friends who are what we call side B Christians, who they still, uh, they, they identify as LGBTQ, they identify a certain way, but the way they read scripture and the way that they honor God is still what would be considered a, quote, conservative traditional sexual ethic. And so they feel it's a call to celibacy. They feel, and so I, it, I, I am honoring my side be Christians by saying, I still think we can come to differing opinions on how we interpret this, but to only say it's a sin and that's the end of the story is lazy because you don't do that with the rest of the scriptures, but somehow we do it with ourselves and our community in these topics. And so if I tell you that we're not really sure what Paul was talking about every time that he used the word. If I tell you that in Romans we're talking about temple prostitution and elder men using sex as a payment for education of younger men, like when I start to get into the nuances of the scriptures, oftentimes it gets pointed back as, oh, well, you're just trying to make the scriptures speak for you and affirm you, and you're twisting them to make them out to be the life that you want to live. And I'm saying, no. I'm honoring the scriptures to go to them and understand all the context as it applies to human life here and now. And so again, I don't care if we don't agree doctrinally and theologically, but to just say this is it is lazy on both sides. Yeah, I think, um, yeah. Well, I, I know a lot of folks who ask that question one of the assumptions that gets made is if you're affirming at all, that means you have no regard for intimacy, sexuality, fidelity. It's just false equivalency. You know, that if you somehow are affirming, that means that you think sex should be like a handshake and you should just be able to have it whoever, whenever you want, with whoever you want. And I think you have to distinguish. We're talking about two very different things here. You know, we're talking about, in terms of somebody's sexual orientation, how they identify, and then we're talking about um, the role that sexual intimacy is meant to play in a relationship. You know, on the one hand, this is about fidelity, um, and this conversation over here is about orientation. I think those things often get lumped together, you know? And so the minute you're identified as affirming, well, then the assumption is you have a low regard for uh, fidelity. Does that make sense? Well, I, I think, and I think that kind of assumption can go both ways, right? So <clears throat> it's easy to say, oh, well, you know, this person came to that, uh, you know, LGBTQ affirming position, and I think that's contrary to scripture, so they must have gotten there by throwing out scripture, not caring about following God, which may not be true. Uh, likewise, folks who are on the affirming side can say, well, this person did not come to an affirming conclusion, and it's because they're homophobic, they're transphobic, they refuse to, you know, they refuse to listen to what, what God is saying today, and so forth. Um, and, and that also may not be true. And I think we, again, we have to recognize that, um, I mean, I, like Dylan, I know people who have come to different conclusions on this. I don't think they can all be right because, you know, we, we have different positions, right? But I, I do, I, I have friends who have come to different conclusions who have done so sincerely with a great deal of study and prayer. And it doesn't mean I think that they got it right, but I do want to acknowledge that they are trying really hard to get it right. And it's not 
if you think that there is no reasonable argument for the opposite position than the one you have, then you haven't really looked at this stuff very well. There are reasonable arguments that may be wrong, and it may be possible to show why they're wrong, but they're not entirely unreasonable arguments on both sides. Good. All right, uh, I'm going to try to, we're not going to get to all these questions. I'm trying to group up uh, ones that feel similar. Here's, uh, here's one that I think is, is coming several different ways. Um, how do, you, how do each of you reconcile people who want to love the LGBTQ community but ultimately disagree with your lifestyle? So how do you, uh, what's advice for folks maybe in the room who, who want to love you as a person but can't not necessarily affirm your lifestyle? I mean, I can kind of talk about that a little bit. So, I mean, that was one of my biggest fears at first um, coming out, especially uh, with the way I grew up, I really thought it was going to be the, you know, love this sin or not the sin kind of thing that we like to say out there that I know I see some faces to that. Um, but ultimately I feel like we kind of talked about this this morning in church. If you're here, the proximity part of that. Um, I know within my family, there are some people that struggle with it when I came out. Um, however, they're the most supportive person they can be now. Um, they have rallied around us, and honestly, it's been amazing. So I, I honestly feel like it's one of those things that a lot of times I think when people say that, um, it's more they don't know anybody. They don't know anybody that's lived this, that, you know, is part of the LGBTQ community a lot of times. Um, we are the same person as anybody else, and I feel like sometimes people don't always think that. Like, we are some of the most, like Stephanie and I are some of the most basic born people you will ever meet. Like, we really are. We're soccer moms. Like, we do the thing. Like, it's what we are. We joke about it all the time because people think, and we've had conversations, you know, people think out of pride, like, it's this crazy wild thing, but it's really not. Like, it's just a normal everyday life. So I think when people are, you know, they kind of question that and they want to kind of go of that route, that it's because it's they don't know anybody. They don't see what we have lived through or anything like that. They don't, they just kind of see us as different sometimes, I think. And we're really not, we're really the same, I promise. Um, so I think for me, that's kind of where I've come on that stance is, yeah, I've dealt with those people. I've, like I said, I worked in a church that was un, like unaffirming. And I know people that are still there that don't agree with me. That's fine, whatever. You can, you still want to like me, but not agree with me. That's okay. I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, but I've learned that a lot of people, once they get to know you, like outside of that, and they realize, and they come and they kind of see our relationship, they see a loving relationship, they kind of change their mind a lot of times. So that's kind of been my experience with it. I, I'll just add, and thank you for that. I, I'll just add also, you know, I, I, I've got a story to, to respond to this. When I was in college and I first started talking about being gay and I was really struggling as a Christian, what does God want me to do? I found a lot of the Christians in my life, as soon as they heard that word gay, they made all sorts of assumptions. And that word lifestyle, um, I don't have time to get into the history of how that word came to be used, but I'll just tell you, if you're not aware, it's a word that rubs a lot of LGBTQ folks the wrong way. There's a, a whole history of when that word started being used and why, and um, it, it's a word that tends to shut down conversation even when you don't mean to. But um, when I was in college and people heard I was gay, they assumed that I was living a particular kind of lifestyle. They imagined that because I used that word gay that I was 
you know, going to gay clubs and hooking up with different guys all the time and everything. And the reality is, I, you know, I had never been in any kind of romantic or sexual relationship with anybody. I, I hadn't, I, I'd not so much as held a guy's hand, much less kissed one. You know, I, I didn't know that that was something I ever wanted to do or that God would ever allow me to do. I was just trying to acknowledge what I was feeling in that moment. But so many Christians would start preaching at me based on their assumption without listening to me. And it hurt so much, and it made me feel so alone. And I went, when the Christian fellowship on campus was having a meeting, I continued to go even though I wasn't, I didn't really feel like part of the group because people kind of held me at a distance. But they had a, a particular Baptist minister come and speak. Um, it was Tony Campolo, who uh, at that time um, was very public in saying that uh, he wanted to love LGBTQ folks, but he didn't believe that, that same-sex marriage was okay. Um, and so he was going to be speaking at this group. And I went to hear him. And uh, before the group started, he was just sort of walking around. And I was like, that's the guy. That's him. Like, I've heard him speak, like, online and stuff. I kind of want to meet him. And so I went up to him, you know, really scared and nervous. And I, I said, Dr. Campolo, I just wanted to introduce myself. My name is Justin Lee. And I, uh, I'm part of the LGBTQ student group here on campus. And that was as much as I said. I was going to say, and I'm a Christian, and here's my story, or here's what I'm going through, or whatever. But I didn't get that much out. I just said, I'm part of the LGBTQ student group on campus. And he looked at me, and he said, well, I am so glad you're here. And he gave me a hug. And it was the first time since I came out that any man not related to me had hugged me. And, and then he said, and this is a really important guy who speaks for a living, travels the world, you know, could have easily said, I don't have time for any of y'all. I'm getting, gearing up for my talk. He said, here, come over here. This is a room of like 150 people. He said, here, come over here to this corner. I want to hear what you've been through and sat me down and just sat there. And from then until it was time for him to get, get up and speak, asked me to just tell my story. That man, I knew he didn't agree theologically with where I was heading. I knew that if I asked him, do you believe it's okay for me to have a boyfriend or get married to a guy someday? I knew he would say no. But that man made me feel more loved than any other Christian in my life at that point. And so when people ask me, how can I love folks even if I don't agree? I say, you know, you can do it, but you have to live it out. Really get to know people. Find out what they're going through and care for their needs and their hurts and their pain. There will be time down the road for you to talk about where you disagree. But so many, I mean, everybody up here, I'm sure has spent so much time listening to people tell us why they disagree. And just to have somebody say, let me hear what you've been through means so much. Yeah, and I think I want to, like, piggyback on your comment about the lifestyle word. Um, I wrote an op-ed not too long ago, and the editor wrote back to me and said, I want to change this sentence at the end of your article where you're saying, you don't want people debating your very existence. I want to change it to identity. And I wrote back and I said, no, I don't think you understand. My identity and my existence are inextricably linked. Um, 
what is in our souls of who we are and who we love. That's innate to us. Christianity is a lifestyle. Um, and so when, and it, for me, that is, that is my experience of why the lifestyle word strikes pretty hard for me. Um, so I just wanted to piggyback on that a little bit. Yeah, and I know we hopefully want to get to a couple more, but I do want to add that too, and I, I don't want to harp on it, um, but I do think it's important to say again, there is a difference between saying that this is a lifestyle. You, you, you don't get to question my identity, though. Um, as we are fellowshipping in the church and we are having deep, meaningful relationships, you can question if I'm cheating on my partner, if I am getting drunk and driving recklessly, if I am, you know, overworking myself and I'm stressed and I'm like all of those things. If we're in good, intimate relationship, I hope you would question my lifestyle then and go, hey, I'm, I'm worried. Like. The, the way that you're living your life is making me a little bit concerned about your social, emotional, mental well-being. You don't get to do that with my identity. And, and I know that it, that is difficult because when, when you do have a, a theological belief, when you do have a perspective rooted in your faith that tells you that this is wrong— I understand that the mental gymnastics sometimes is hard to go, okay, well, how do I handle somebody that's living out that lifestyle that I think is wrong? But at the end of the day, it's not yours to tell me that. And I'm not saying you, I'm saying just as the collective, again, so there's a difference between coming to me and saying, hey, I'm concerned about the things that you're doing in your life and coming to me and saying, I'm concerned that you're gay. Well, I appreciate your concern, but that's like me coming to you and saying, hey, I'm really concerned that you're straight. Like if we really flipped it around, it doesn't make much sense. And so it is really important to remember that when you do say a word like that, it's, it, it is demeaning to us because you're saying that I wake up every day and go, okay, today I'm going to choose to be gay again. Like... I'm not doing that, y'all, because I chose to try and be straight every day for 18, 24 years. And so I, I just have to say that. To the other point really quickly about loving people well in the midst of that, I go back to the same thing, is that in this walk, what did Jesus say? That the two most important things were to love God and love neighbor. And so, yes, there's nuance even in that. Yes, that there are conversations around healthy lifestyles and healthy living in our faith. But at the end of the day, you're not necessarily going to everybody on the street that's living in a certain way that you deem as sinful and making sure that you call them out and tell them what to do. We don't do that with everybody, but we choose to do that for some reason with this topic. And so the first thing I would say is I don't need you to immediately come to me with the idea that you're going to fix me or that you need to heal me or save me. I just need to, you to come to me with the same shared humanity that I come to you with. The last thing that I'll say, because I do think it's important, is that it also means that you don't get to strip me of my rights. And I know this is a really difficult conversation, and it's not being political. 
But even if you disagree theologically, even if you think that those of us up here in relationships are affirming uh, stances are, are, are living in sin or, or however you want to interpret it. I'm more okay with that. We can have nuanced dialogue on that and our shared understanding of the faith. But the moment you begin to go out in society and say that my rights don't matter anymore because of what your religion and your faith says, we have a problem because you're stripping my humanity. And so I just... I just feel like that's something that we don't always talk about in the church is loving people well is, is the humanity, but it's also recognizing that we all deserve the same rights too. Um, I do want to respect uh, time, but there's a question that's come up a couple times. I'm going to ask you maybe, they're different questions, but they're linked. And I want to ask you both and you can pick which one maybe you want to, you want to talk about, but, um, uh, what can we do to support queer children? Um, in what ways can allies advocate for queer youth indirectly? And I think there's a, there's, these are connected. Um, what advice would you give to your younger self about coming out to your loved ones? If you could go back and talk to your younger self. I can answer the second one really quickly. Um, I would say just do it. Honestly, it was one of the biggest fights the two of us had for the longest time is me not coming out uh, too quick with my um, fam certain people in my family. Um, I would say just do it. Because honestly, the last several years have been way better than the years before that where I wasn't out. Um, so just do it. And when it comes to like youth and stuff, it's be supportive. Show up, be there, listen when they want to talk to you about it. Um, I mean, that goes for anything in a, you know, when you're dealing with youth or children. Um, just be a listening ear for them. And then model what it's like to love other people. You know, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, the LGBT community. It's any community. You model behind, like, you model what you feel like. You be that role model to them. Um, so that's, I mean, the kind of, like, briefly talk, like, on both of those. I would just say do it sooner. And it's, I mean, it's not always easy. That's for sure. Um, but it's always worth it, I feel like. Even if there's a little bit of a rift at first or something. And I have the, you know, the lucky end of the story where my whole family came around me and supported me and loved me and we're super close and we see them every Friday night. So I have that version of the story and I know not everyone does. Um, but I think for me, the younger self would be to just do it earlier. And then when it comes to students, just be there for them, listen to them and don't make, their, make them feel like it's a negative thing and don't make them feel like they're, what they're feeling is invalid. Um, I think that goes across the board with students. I think because they're at that age, it's such a vulnerable thing that they need to know that they're loved, that they're supported, and just be that for them. Even if you don't give them any advice, that's okay. Just be there for them and they know that you're a safe place for them to talk about the topic with. Um, I'm speaking exclusively from a place of trans experience, but had I come out at 14, had I transitioned at 14, let's assume for a minute that I was not in Pickens, South Carolina, and that my dad was not a Southern Baptist pastor, and I, and let's say that I could have started my transition at 14, I would not have met the wife that I have today. I would not have the child that I have today. So I think in a lot of ways, 
I came out exactly when I was supposed to, even if I had come out earlier um, with my wife, she probably would have left me if it were five years earlier. So I say that as my answer is nuanced compared to yours, Brittany, but at the same time, there is not a day because I don't consider my transition fully baked either. So there is not a day that I don't get up and there's not a period of every day where I don't lament all of the changes that happened to my body and its natural puberty that I wasn't able to stop. So that dovetails into this question about how to support queer youth, particularly trans youth, is believe children when they tell you who they are. And children and adolescents are just as autonomous as you or I are, and they will tell you who they are. And if that scares you, if you have a 10 or an 11-year-old child and they're saying, you know, I'm something other than what I was assigned at birth, the first thing you need to realize is the only thing that you're doing to affirm them at that point is calling them what they want to be called and letting them dress how they want to be dressed. As they get older, you're going to start talking with their doctor and everything about things like puberty blockers, which are reversible. And like, like we can go through all the talking points, but, but really, 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 as someone who's sitting here knowing that she's really blessed to be in the position that she's in, also really, really has a lot of negative feelings around the fact that she did not get to come out earlier. I wanted to say, thank you so much. I just want to say really quickly to you that you seem to be the type of person that before, when it was just the way, before it became a religion, you get it. You get Christ. You really do. I'm not, you know, I'm not unnerved by your relationship with the church or religion right now because you get Christ. I feel that all over you. I believed I, I did. I, I believed I did. And, and unfortunately, I think there are a lot of churches that valued Paul more than they valued Jesus. Paulians, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. I just, I just, I just felt that. I mean, you, and, and so, you know what, don't lower that standard of expectation of, you know, it's just even from the outside in, you hold the church to a standard it should be held to. It really should, to me, when it comes to, are you emulating Christ? I, I just wanted to say that to you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and so as we are supporting young people, um, I, my heart is for teens and young people in the youth ministry at our church. Uh, I actually have one of my youth ministers here supporting. And we, I mean, we already have young people who are not, you know, they're kind of non-binary. They don't know where they are. So I would say, one, don't freak out. Because if you remember, a lot of us, you know, had that awkward, I don't know what I am, who I like, how to dress, you know, um, and, and whatnot. You know, I grew up in the age of early, you know, what, early hip hop and the groups where the girls would dress, you know, like all, I don't know, just all kind of crazy stuff. And so who knows, uh, who knew? I'm sure I made some people nervous. But uh, about where I was going to end up, where I was going, I don't know. Um, but one, don't freak out. You know, those, those adolescent years are fluid anyway. 
Um, and so don't freak out. They'll arrive wherever they're going to arrive. Uh, ask questions. Um, don't be shy about it. But don't um, also, don't make them feel condemned. And, um, and, and it's on the spot, be inquisitive about, you know, who they are, how they identify, what they see. I, I used to ask my son, you know. So, you know, you gotta, you know, you're looking at any girls or whatever. You guys, you know, you're like, mom, you know, but hey, I mean, I just need, I need you to know I'm okay, you know, whatever. Um, I, I didn't know how to navigate it either. But um, nowadays, young people are much more accepting than we are. Our generation, you know, is it, whatever. And um, so understanding that uh, we don't want to be on the other end of acceptance on the opposite side of acceptance, because they'll go to school and a lot of their peers will allow them to just be, allow them to just be. So keeping in touch with the, the, the age that we're in and the generations that we're dealing with here. Um, and so I would say one, don't be afraid to allow them the exploration time, but also at the same time, hold them to the same, they wanna be held to the same standard as their heterosexual siblings. You know, so don't think, oh, this is new territory is us. It's, you know, all, all, you know, just all over the, I don't know what to do. No, no, because if I wouldn't allow <laughs> your um, cisgendered or, you know, opposite sex um, boyfriend to sleep over, I see what you're doing there, girl. She's not sleeping over either. You know, I mean, you know, they, you're not slick, you know, so no, they, no, they can stay and stay over. But it shows them that I'm not being treated differently. You're not, you know, pinpointing, you know, you're not trying to uh, make me feel as though I'm, I'm, you know, it, I don't know. I'm having a hard time finding my words, but I still want you to know that um, treat them the same and set standards for them. They need the, the standards as well. They need the expectations. They need the values to be um, communicated as well. So if you have uh, children, who are they beginning to explore and they're going to come to the understanding that they are of, a, of an orientation that you may not have thought or planned for them, then still give them the values and the foundation to operate um, within, within, okay? I, I know we're, but we're out of time, so I'm just going to really briefly say this. I, uh, I've, I've actually, I've got a couple of videos on my YouTube channel uh, about coming out to parents and about uh, if you're a parent with an LGBTQ kid. Um, so if anybody wants those, uh, my YouTube channel is uh, it's Geeky Justin. That's also my website is geekyjustin.com, which is G-E-E-K-Y-J-U-S-T-I-N because I'm, I'm a geek. I have to spell it now because a couple years ago I gave a talk and I said at the end my website is geekyjustin.com. I had someone come up to me afterwards, an older gentleman who said, did you say kinky Justin? <laughs> G-E-E-K-Y. I don't know where the other one takes you, but not me, so. But, but whether we're talking about caring for youth, whether we're talking about the other stories, because I know each person who came here, you came here for a reason, you know? And, and these conversations are so nuanced and inevitably we don't have enough time to get to all of the important questions and thoughts. And I know there are folks here who are like, this is great, and you know, if only they'd gotten to my question, and there are probably people here who are like, I'm really frustrated because there was something that really needed to be dealt with here, and it didn't get dealt with, and you know, all I can say is I think the best thing we can do for each other is to be open enough to listen to each other and to have enough curiosity 
to show the light of Christ in our lives and to say, I know God loves this person sitting next to me and the person across the aisle from me. And, 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 and what you can do is to spend your life going out there and, and saying to yourself, God loves this person. And so let me get to know what's going on with this person enough to understand what God loves so much about them and give people the chance to share with you what their journey is, what the questions are they're struggling with, what the theological things are that they're thinking about, so that we can share that kind of love um, for each other, even in the midst of our disagreements and our struggles and getting things wrong. If we can do that, and if we can show that to our youth and let them be open about what they're going through and all the mistakes they make along the way, I think we'll be doing a good job of, of showing the world what it looks like, what, what Jesus has called us to be instead of this polarized kind of world that we're in right now. So that would be my answer to a lot of the unanswered questions as well. And I'll just add really quickly, because we are out of time, but I just want to say to your point, if I can pull that into my point, is that first and foremost, yes, is if I can recognize that I am deeply, 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 whatever your understanding of faith and, and God and religion and the universe is, I'm deeply, deeply, deeply loved. And if I'm deeply, deeply loved, then so is Amberlynn, so is Justin, so is Tiffany, so is Brittany. The person across from me, aside from me, is deeply, deeply loved. And it's my job to show them that love. It's my job on this earth to love. And that sounds like, oh, that's really simple and too easy. But it really, like, it's actually really hard. Um, but it's actually why you're here, is to love. And so then within that, though, my challenge would only be... Um, to be willing to push yourself on language and education. And so there's this talking point right now that more people are coming out. And, you know, because people are more exposed, that's why they're coming out. And that's why, well, look what's happening to our youth. No, they're just seeing more representation. And they have more language to make sense of what they're experiencing. And so a way that you can curate a loving environment for queer youth is what's wrong with instead of saying he or she when you're talking about a stranger, saying they or them. We do it all the time. And so what's wrong with adopting new ideas of not fitting everything into the binary at home and allowing that conversation and that nuance to exist at home, allowing that nuance to exist of you know, I mean, growing up, how many times did I get it from my grandpa? You got a girlfriend yet? It's like, it's awkward as a queer youth, though, because it's like, no, I don't, but you don't really know the rest of the story, right? And so it's like, I, I just want to challenge you that in that love, too, the language and the, and the terminology is just coming to where we are as the human race. And so allow yourself to live into some of that terminology and language in your everyday life to give space for queer youth that are already might be questioning or, 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 or venturing for themselves. And the moment they're at home and you say they or them instead of he or she, the moment that you say that you're comfortable having a question about whether or not they have a girlfriend or a boyfriend, that opens the door to go, oh, this is safe. And at 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, I might not have it all figured out, but if I'm safe enough to start the conversation with you at home where I should feel the most comfortable and safe to start the conversation, it changes the game. And I'm telling you that from experience because at home, I couldn't go there and I didn't have the outlet anywhere else. 
And so make your home space the most comfortable place that we can start asking those questions. And that's how you create a place for queer youth. Can we thank our panelists? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, you know, Brittany and Dylan, you're the only ones that, you know, knew half people in this room. I just think it's such a brave thing uh, to come and talk to a group of people, um, knowing that we all probably don't fall down in the same place and all the, all the various particulars and nuances in this conversation, but still having the courage to come and, and share uh, your story really means a lot. And it's very, um, it's very impressive, right? We asked some questions about uh, material that you can uh, read and look at if you're wanting to learn more. If you use the bios on the website, uh, there's tons of information there. And I'll, I'll just go ahead and say, give a plug for Justin's book um, called Torn. It's an incredibly helpful book, particularly for those of you that are coming out of a, um, you, you are deeply Christian, right? Uh, and, and you want to understand what the scriptures say and how to walk through this. That book is a really great, um, really great resource. So I want to highly recommend that. But thank you for being here. Um, I know we weren't able to get to all of the questions, um, but we hopefully we'll be doing more of these in the future. Can I pray for us? Yeah. God, I say thank you again for uh, just the gift of tonight, for the gift that we have in, in each other um, and hearing each other's stories and being changed in big ways and small ways just by being close to each other. I mean, at the heart of our faith is this idea of incarnation. And when it came to, to helping us, um, to leading us out of our mess, you didn't do that from a distance. You ate with us. You walked with us. You listened to us. You asked us questions. You were up close and personal. We want to be that kind of place. Um, we want to be a place where, yeah, we might disagree about all the particulars when it comes to um, human sexuality, orientation, but we're going to be a place where everybody belongs, where everybody has a seat at the table and everybody gets to fully participate. That's what we want to be. So I just pray that you be with us as we go. For those of us who maybe have more questions now than we did before we got here, um, lead us to resources. Lead us to other people. Um, keep us curious. Um, and we just trust you uh, to lead us forward. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you again for being here.